from The Advocate magazine in partnership with GLAAD. This is LGBTQ and A. I'm Jeffrey Masters, hello, and today I'm talking to the great American actress Holland Taylor. You know Holland from so many things, like Hollywood on Netflix, she's nominated for an Emmy for that role. You know her from The Practice and Legally Blonde. Also Anne on Broadway, the one-woman show about Governor Ann Richards that she wrote and starred in. And you can see her playing the great leader in Bill and Ted Face the Music, the new movie with Keanu Reeves that comes out in September. Her career has been impressive steady and full of characters that we often don't see women play on screen. So today we talk about all of that, about being 77 and busier than ever, about being in New York City during the AIDS crisis, and really living a life not wanting to be defined by any labels. So let's hear it. This is Holland Taylor. Holland Taylor, welcome to the show, and congrats on the recent Emmy nomination for Hollywood. Well, I fell into a pot of honey with that role. Yeah, I agree. You know, I love that character. She was a genuinely nice person, for lack of better words. She genuinely cared about the other actors in the show and helped to guide them to making good decisions in their careers. In your own career, did you have anyone like that? You know, I've lived for so long, I can scarcely remember being mentored. But of course, I learned from everybody I encounter. And I, ex- and I even consciously experienced myself observing someone and saying, oh, what an interesting way to do that. And I learned from a lot of people. And I'm particularly interested in seeing very young actors and how they, how they attack the task. You know, you mentioned your age. You're 77. You also seem to have never been busier. I know. I know. It's it, Actually, I've had... I've had an extraordinary career in that the usual plight of the actor, which is long periods of not working, has not been my situation. I've really worked pretty steadily. My beginning years were hard because I was too young to play the parts that I was right for, because I was never an ingenue. But once I hit my stride, I've really never had a hard period. That is so untypical or atypical, that I feel kind of guilty about it. I've, I've been blessed with good fortune. And lately, I mean, one thing right after another, you know, it's just been very, very quiet lately and it's changed, very changed experience. And having never been busier, though, are you the anomaly amongst people your age or are you seeing that across the board? Oh, I, I'm seeing a lot. Well, maybe because I'm in the Ryan Murphy universe. I mean, Ryan Murphy has an enormous interest in women as characters on their own, separate from any relationship they may have with whatever man is in their purview. Female actors are used to having roles that are connected to a man. You, You can't just be a person whose story is being told. It's you are the wife of, the mother of, the daughter of, the friend of, the sister of, I think now in the Ryan Murphy world, he sees women. He sees women and their particular evolution of their life and how they realize themselves. He finds it very interesting. So there's plenty of women and elder women in his world. 
One of my favorite scenes from Hollywood was between you and Joe Montello, queer icon Joe Montello, discussing your relationship. And it was a vulnerable conversation. And I kind of hate how much it stood out to me how rarely I've seen somebody your age on screen talking about those things. Yes, we were very aware how rare a scene it was. And as such, we really wanted to do it well. We had a lot of sort of fluttery nerves about it because it seemed such a critical scene. You can't really fully write out a scene like that because so much is unspoken, so much is difficult to say. And so the characters really behave with each other in ways that you hope are revealing. It's such an ineffable occurrence that happens when one person reaches out to another and the reach is not grasped. In fact, I'm sort of feeling a tightness in my throat just thinking about it because it was a scene of such delicacy and we really so wanted to do it well because people never forget moments of such delicacy and human pain, human stress and human yearning. I'm kind of surprised to hear you talk about wanting to do the scene well and justice. I guess my assumption would be that at 77, you feel like very comfortable and confident in your craft. A lot of things in acting happen or they don't happen. And it, it's, it's, it's ineffable. It's, it's hard to put your finger on it. You know what the ingredients are. You know what the character wants. But the character moves through behavior, not just through the spoken word. When two characters are working together, there is always an element of magic to it. And sometimes it clicks and sometimes it just doesn't. It's hard to really control. So there is a sense of it walking on a tightrope, always in acting. You and your partner have to pick up each other's infinitesimally delicate cues. And it's very moving when you are in connection with another actor. It's like being in outer space. There's a little speck, and these two little specks see each other, and they come within communication, blinking distance, and they blink, and then they pass on. It's very, very delicate. And looking at how unconventional it is to see a woman your age in a scene like that, I think that unconventional can be used to describe many of the roles across your career. I'm thinking right now about The Practice, which you won the Emmy for in 1999, that was a very sexually explicit character who said, well, well many things. Can, can you give us an example of one of the lines? Well, I could tell you one particularly because when I got the script, I simply could not believe it. This character made quite a splash. It was way ahead of its time in terms of our culture and what, what you would see on television. But when I got the script, I came home one night and I found a script. I came home very late, like at two in the morning, and a script for the practice was on my doorstep. And I came in and I always tear open a script. doesn't matter how late it is. I can't wait to see what's, what's in store for me. And I read that she said this line when she was answering in a deposition what happened between her and this this. Uh, young young attorney. She said, I gave him the greatest blowjob known to mankind. This is in 1999. And I thought, I am going to say blowjob on national television, and I'm going to be referring to me giving one. And I thought, this is the greatest thing that has ever happened to me. Now, when push came to shove, they actually made me change it. Even the mighty David Kelly couldn't get blowjob, not out of my lips anyway, said on national TV, so it was changed to fellatio. But that was still pretty extraordinary. I gave him the greatest 
fellatio ever known to mankind. <laughs> I mean, the line that came to mind for me was, well, I have a clip, actually. Let's, let's play it. You're sad. Am I? I could give you an erection from across the room. We both know that. Go ahead, stand over there. I'll prove it. Yes. Oh, well, that was an incredible. That was that was a very steamy moment. The character was pretending, was trying to, in the deposition, make it seem like that I was coming after him. And the fact is, I could have taken him or left him, but he was very attracted to me. And then another lawyer actually sort of looks under the table to look at his lap. And the other lawyer says, hey, quit that. You know, it's just outrageous. Outrageous. Right. And seeing a woman say these things on TV where it's not played for laughs. I think that's like what struck me so much. No, it was a it was a deposition. It was a legal situation. So like back then, again, this was like the 90s, a different time, seeing that you're playing a character saying these lines, I feel like that could have gone either way in terms of being received. Did you have any worries about that? No. (laughs) But by that point, I was quite confident in that role. First of all, David wrote it. I mean, it was, you know, some roles are underwritten and you have to bring a great deal to, to the party. But uh, and I, I, you know, I'd like to think I always bring something to a role. But I was pretty confident in, in the parameters of that woman. And you did win an Emmy for that role. Looking back now, it's been 20 years. Are you able to draw a line and see winning as having affected your career in concrete and measurable ways? You know, I can't pinpoint it, but I'm sure it does. I mean, that kind of attention, it it elevates you. More people will then sort of have you in some corner of their minds so that when probably usually a similar role of some kind crops up, they're going to think about you. And that's, of course, how you get locked into playing the same kind of thing. But if I could have always played very intelligent women who were having an active sex life, who would complain? But yeah, an Emmy win is enormous attention, but so is the nomination. And, and the nomination is the honor as it, as it is when it's a Tony. I mean, Tony nominations are, are fantastic for your spirits as well as your career. Oh, are you saying that a nomination or a win is just as valuable as a source of self-validation? Just like a reminder for yourself that, oh yeah, I am good at this. Hmm. I, I actually am old enough to be fairly confident in myself without an award telling me I'm good. I know when I'm not good, and I sometimes know when I've done done a role pretty well. And as far as awards are concerned, I mean, look at the amount of product. Look at the amount of shows and the amount of actors, thousands upon thousands. You really can't link an award to be your only mark that will tell you whether you're good or not, because you could spend a very long time wandering in the dark. And backing up a bit, when you were first starting out, how did you see queerness being treated by the industry? Again, living a long life, you don't always remember. When I started out, I mean, it it was a time when gay characters were real anomalies, and they were probably in the story because of their gayness. And so that that would have been the featured issue. So often they would be stereotypical in that sense. I don't really remember when it just changed really quite dramatically to it probably was after probably was after AIDS. After AIDS, you could not do stereotypical gay characters. You just could not do it. Uh, and 
and, and I, I mean, I thought, do you remember when the Stonewall was that in like 66 or 7? It was 69. 69 was Stonewall. I don't think I'd even had a gay relationship then, but everybody I knew was gay. Everyone in my social life was was gay, it seemed to me. I mean, in the theater and, and artists and poets and writers. It's so funny that I say that, that all the artists I knew were gay. That isn't true, but a lot were. And maybe it's a broad sense of acceptance in life you find in the arts community. So for me, I didn't feel, uh, I didn't feel isolated. I didn't feel it as such a, ostracizing thing because my whole society was very inclusive of every kind of person from the time when I was a young adult. So I've never been that actively political except during the AIDS period. I was very. That was a very shocking time. We talk about a pandemic. And there have been a lot of comparisons between COVID-19 and the AIDS crisis. Does that feeling, how it felt back then, does it feel similar to how it feels today? Not in, not entirely, because of course that was not a disease that was easy to catch. If you if you if you knew about it, if you were aware of it, you could protect yourself from it. Even so, it was only transmissible with a certain amount of real intimacy. So you couldn't, couldn't walk down the street or sit in a coffee shop and get it. In this pandemic, it's really nothing like AIDS in the sense that this pandemic, everyone is rightly should be terrified because the air itself. Uh, holds this. And the pandemic then was so terrifying because of all the prejudice attached to it and all the hatred that swirled around it. But we came out the other side very changed in that regard. And I think that then a lot of gay characters were in stories because they are in our lives. Yeah. You know, in 2015, you publicly shared, I believe for the first time, that you were in a relationship with a woman. Why was that the right time to share that with the public? I'm I'm a very private person just generally. I would be no matter what my life was. But I was not private in the sense of hiding. I lived my life in public. I I think I was about 29 or 30 when I had my first relationship with a woman. And I lived my life in public, but I didn't talk about it, per se. It would never have occurred to me to talk about my personal life in an interview anyway. I wasn't having a lot of interviews. When I started to be known, it was just a subject that never came up in the sense that no one would ask me. I don't know why no one would ask me, but they didn't. And I don't know what I would have said. It's so funny, I can't really remember any anxiety about that. You know, I had not been in a relationship for a very long time. The relationship with with Sarah became so public because she's an enormous star and I was somewhat well-known and it became a news event. And so I wasn't going to deny it. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, other relationships that I, ha- I have have not been with famous people. No other relationship I have would become a news event in that sense. When Once that happened, there was no way not to just speak about it. It's a funny thing to hear you say that you were never asked about it. And I'm trying to think about if I would ever feel comfortable asking someone if they if they were queer or if they had a same-sex relationship without them opening the door to it. Yes. I was not I was not asked and I was not I would not have offered in all likelihood, certainly I mean I'm more free talking about my personal life now because people 
do speak very personally in interviews, but when I was younger, I didn't have a big public marriage or relationship with children and a big public life. I just lived my life normally. I wasn't I wasn't behind closed doors. And that's a really big change in the industry, too, that like when it came to actors' private lives, we really didn't know that much about it, nor was it appropriate to ask back then. No. You know, I, I don't feel it's very interesting in a sense, and I don't have any impulse to talk about it any more than if I were at a cocktail party. I would just start talking about my personal life. It's like, who's interested? Well, let me push back there, actually, because I think it's interesting because by the nature of chance, you know, you're dating Sarah Paulson and you're in one of the most public and visible relationships between two women in the world. And so I think that that is why there is so much public interest. Mm -hmm. But I mean, I don't know what one would talk about <laughs> to talk about the relationship. What would I talk about? what we have for breakfast. You know, it's like, what's the subject? What's the actual, do you see what I say? Because it would not be my impulse to talk about a relationship anyway, no matter what it was. Do you see what I'm saying? It's like, goodness. So, so when did you realize like what a big deal dating Sarah was in the public eye? I don't know that I could say what that moment was. I think, you know, because she's nominated for every award known to man repeatedly like a gong being struck uh, around the clock. So early on, I would accompany her to various award ceremonies that she would have to go to, that she would, of course, go to because she was going to have to pick up an award. So I was got very used to just being photographed with her. It just seemed par for the course. And then paparazzi, uh, paparazzis uh, hang around a lot of restaurants that we used to go to. It's just from the beginning, it's been like that. It's a little odd because I often look like a moving pile of laundry when I go out. So not always paying attention to how I dress. In, in one interview, you said that you were not political about it, about, you know, dating women. Can I ask what you meant about that? Well, I don't, like, I don't join clubs. I don't, I'm not, I just live my life out in the world. I don't understand, certainly at this point, carrying signs about it or making proclamations about it or making statements about it. It's just about uh, life. It's just a normal life for me. So it isn't like campaigning against some law or other or some discrimination. That would be a political act. So beyond that, I just don't, it just doesn't feel like a political atmosphere to me in my life. Oh, I see. You know, a couple of minutes ago, you said that you were never asked about sexuality in interviews. Can I ask how you identify and what labels you use? Uh, labels? I actually don't use any labels. Oh, you don't use any labels at all for your sexuality. Oh, you mean if somebody... I don't... I, I, don't, I very rarely even would have an occasion to say that. Well, I, if, you, if you said, what is your sexuality? I'd say, I'm gay, I guess. I'd say, I'm gay. I guess I'd say that. But I, I really don't I really don't like the definitions. As I just feel like I'm I'm a person. It's such a, a small it's not it's not the major defining thing of my life. It's not it's not defining. I'm a human being. That's defining. Do you see what I'm saying? 
I, yeah, and I think that's so impressive because I think for somebody who is in your generation, it was such a defining thing for people. So it seems like so interesting that you escaped feeling like that, to be completely honest. It was, uh, it was a confining thing. It was, a, it was confining and a, a separating and a dividing. And I didn't, I, I just really, I don't find it defining in the sense of, it's funny, I've never really thought about it this way. I just don't have any impulse to define myself at all by anything other than person. I'm a person. I suppose I could say I am a woman. I would say that that is to be a, a man or a woman is a broad, a broad enclosure of qualities that is not that is permeable because we're very large entities. We're very large and shape shifting entities. So even woman is very is a little bit of a cage, a little bit of a barrier against a sense of largeness that I think we are as persons. To be a person is a very big universe. Not wanting to be confined by labels, how much do you think being an actress contributes to that? Since in your life you inhabit so many different types of people. You don't just inhabit Holland Taylor. Yeah, interesting. Well, I think I, I think it, it's all the the large universe is is me, and within that I can make a constellation of characteristics that are that are a character, and I can sort of live in that constellation. But it is still within the larger context of of who I am. I remember Stella Adler saying, you know, you you use your imagination to think about the character's experience. You have to research and know a great deal about the character and about the character's time and place and about everything that the character does. But then why would you think about, you know, if you're playing Elizabeth I of England and you're imagining your grandmother in Hoboken, you're insane. Why not go understand Elizabeth I of England? Because it is still you. You are the imaginer. Yeah. We are almost out of time, but, you know, for someone with such an extensive resume, it surprises me to see how often you are referred to as Holland Taylor, the Holland Taylor, the actress from Legally Blonde. I know. Does that surprise you? Uh, well, it does me too. Uh, but that was a very big movie and it was a very popular, it was a very popular movie and that was a very popular role. A lot of people see that that teacher as a kind of mentor. And the fact that she would say, if you're going to let one stupid prick ruin your life, you're not the girl I thought you were. It's a line that people really adopted as, you know, something to encourage them to be true to who they were, to, to whom they are, to do, to do it their way, to not back down and to not let someone else determine their happiness, which is the most important element of that. And that, that is a great lesson if you can learn that lesson, you're way ahead of the game. So I think that's one reason why that movie just sort of stuck. But, I mean, the practice certainly was a very big splash. And, and of course, you've never known in the broad entertainment world for your theater roles, but to play the Anne Richards character was certainly the achievement of my life. And how are you thinking about Hollywood, the, the industry, not the TV show, but Hollywood, Hollywood? How are you thinking about Hollywood and your career right now with everything going on with the pandemic? Well, it's, it's, uh, I mean, I've, 
I've had an extraordinary run. I've had, I've really had a very privileged career, blessed with good fortune at every turning. Uh, I've had great roles in television. I've got great roles in film, and I've had a truly great roles on stage. And so I feel very fully realized as a person. And I, uh, anything from now on is kind of gravy uh, or icing on the cake. I mean, in the case of Hollywood, that was a really, that role was a gift. That role played itself, which actors will tell you all good roles do in a certain ex- to a certain extent. And she, she was a character of such enormous goodwill. So I think that character will stay with people for a long time. Because it's it's you know emblematic to see someone who lives like that. So as far as now is concerned, I mean we are seriously on hold. That will be, I don't know, have any idea when I will work again. A year, two years, I I, I don't know. But it's been quite something to not be working because it's a very big part of who I am. That's an amazing place to leave that. Thank you for talking to us and being so generous with your time. Well, thank you very much for asking me. I enjoyed it. And that was Holland Taylor. Hollywood on Netflix is streaming now. And Bill and Ted Face the Music, the new movie with Keanu Reeves, that comes out on September 1st. Now, if you enjoyed the interview, please make sure that you're subscribed and leave a comment on iTunes. Doing things like that really helps our show to grow. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much for that. If you want to connect or recommend a guest, I'm on Twitter at JeffMasters1, and the show is on Twitter at LGBTQPod. We're brought to you by The Advocate Magazine in partnership with GLAAD. Come check out all of our amazing work at advocate.com and GLAAD.org. I'm Jeffrey Masters, and I'll see you next week. Bye.